CD5 In front of the barrel, a short man in a toga that must once have been white, in the same way that once all continents must have been joined together, was kicking another one who was on the ground. You lazy bugger! The young one sat up. Honest, uncle. I turned my back for half an hour and you go to sleep on the job. What job? We haven't had anything since Mr. Peloxy, the farmer, last week. How do you know? How do you know? While you were snoring, dozens of people could have been going past, every one of them in need of a personal philosophy. And he only paid in olives? I shall probably get a good price for them olives. They're rotten, uncle. Nonsense, you said they were green. Yes, but they're supposed to be black. In the shadows, the tortoise's head turned back and forth like a spectator's at a tennis match. The young man stood up. "'Mrs. Bilaxis came in this morning,' he said. "'She said the proverb you did for her last week has stopped working.' Didaculos scratched his head. "'Which one was that?' he said. "'You gave her it's always darkest before dawn.' "'There's nothing wrong with that damn good philosophy.' "'She said she didn't feel any better. "'Anyway, she said she'd stayed up all night because of her bad leg "'and it was actually quite light just before dawn, so it wasn't true. "'And her leg still dropped off.' So I gave her part exchange on, still, it does you good to laugh. Didactylos brightened up a bit. Hehehe, <laughs> shifted that one, eh? She said she'd give it a try. She gave me a whole dried squid for it. She said I looked like I needed feeding up. Right, you're learning. That's lunch sorted out at any rate. <laughs> See, Ern, told you it'd work if we stuck at it. I don't call one dried squid and a box of greasy olives much of a return, master. Not for two weeks thinking. We got three O-balls for doing that proverb for old Grillos the cobbler. No, we didn't. He brought it back. His wife didn't like the colour. And you gave him his money back? Yes. What, all of it? Yes. Oh, can't do that. Not after he's put wear and tear on the words. Which one was it? It's a wise crow that knows which way the camel points. I put a lot of work into that one. He said he couldn't understand it. I don't understand cobbling, but I know a good pair of sandals when I wear them. Om blinked his one eye. Then he looked at the shapes of the mines in front of him. The one called Urn was presumably the nephew, and had a fairly normal sort of mind, even if it did seem to have too many circles and angles in it. But Didactylos's mind bubbled and flashed like a pot full of electric eels on full boil. Om had never seen anything like it. Brother's thoughts took eons to slide into place. It was like watching mountains colliding. Didactylos's thoughts chased after one another with a whooshing noise. No wonder he was bald. Hair would have burned off from the inside. Om had found a thinker. A cheap one, too, by the sound of it. He looked up at the wall behind the barrel. Further along was an impressive set of marble steps leading up to some bronze doors, and over the doors, made of metal letters set in stone, was the word Librum. He'd spent too much time looking. Urn's hand clamped itself onto his shell, and he heard Didactylos's voice say, Hey, there's good eating on one of these things. Brother cowered. You stoned our envoy, shouted Vorbis, an unarmed man. He brought it on himself, said the tyrant. Aristocrates was there. He will tell you. 
The tall man nodded and stood up. By tradition, anyone may speak in the marketplace, he began. And be stoned? Vorbis demanded. Aristocrates held up a hand. Ah, he said, anyone can say what they like in the square. We have another tradition, though, called free listening. Unfortunately, when people dislike what they hear, they can become a little testy. I was there, too, said another adviser. Your priest got up to speak, and at first everything was fine because people were laughing, and then he said that Om was the only real god, and everyone went quiet. And then he pushed over a statue of Tuvalpit, the god of wine, and that's when the trouble started. Are you proposing to tell me he was struck by lightning? said Vorbis. Vorbis was no longer shouting. His voice was level without passion. The thought rose in Brother's mind, This is how the Exquisitors speak. When the Inquisitors are finished, the Exquisitors speak. No, by an amphora. Tovelpit was in the crowd, you see. And striking honest men is considered proper godly behaviour, is it? Your missionary had said that people who did not believe in Om would suffer endless punishment. I have to tell you that the crowd considered this rude. And so they threw stones at him. Not many. They only hurt his pride, and only after they'd run out of vegetables. They threw vegetables? When they couldn't find any more eggs. And when we came to remonstrate. I'm sure sixty ships intended more than remonstrating, said the tyrant. And we have warned you, Lord Vorbis. People find in Ephib what they seek. There will be more raids on your coast. We will harass your ships, unless you sign. And passage through Ephib, said Vorbis. The tyrant smiled. Across the desert. My lord, if you can cross the desert, I'm sure you can go anywhere. The tyrant looked away from Vorbis and towards the sky, visible between the pillars. "'And now I see it is nearing noon,' he said, "'and the day heats up. "'Doubtless you will wish to discuss our proposals with your colleagues. "'May I suggest we meet again at sunset?' Vorbis appeared to give this some consideration. "'I think,' he said eventually, "'that our deliberations may take longer.' Shall we say tomorrow morning? The tyrant nodded. As you wish. In the meantime, the palace is at your disposal. There are many fine temples and works of art, should you wish to inspect them. When you require meals, mention the facts to the nearest slave. Slave is an Ephibian word. In Om we have no word for slave, said Vorbis. "'So I understand,' said the tyrant. "'I imagine that fish have no word for water.' "'He smiled the fleeting smile again. "'And there are the baths and the library, of course. "'Many fine sights. You are our guests.' "'Vorbis inclined his head. "'I pray,' he said, "'that one day you will be a guest of mine.' "'And what sights I shall see,' said the tyrant.' Brother stood up, knocking over his bench and going redder with embarrassment. He thought, they lied about Brother Murdoch.
They beat him within an inch of his life, Vorbis said, and flogged him the rest of the way. And Brother Numrod said he saw the body and it was really true. Just for talking. People who would do that sort of thing deserve punishment. And they keep slaves. People forced to work against their will, people treated like animals, and they even call their ruler a tyrant. And why isn't any of this exactly what it seems? Why don't I believe any of it? Why do I know it isn't true? And what did he mean about fish not having a word for water? The Omnians were half escorted, half led back to their compound. Another bowl of fruit was waiting on the table in Brother's cell with some more fish and a loaf of bread. There was also a man sweeping the floor. Um, said Brother, are you a slave? Yes, Master. That must be terrible. The man leaned on his broom. You're right, it's terrible, really terrible. Do you know, I only get one day off a week. Brother, who had never heard the words day off before, and who was in any case unfamiliar with the concept, nodded uncertainly. Why don't you run away? he said. Oh, done that, said the slave. Ran away to Tussort once, didn't like it much. Came back. Ran away for a fortnight in De Jelly Baby every winter, though. Do you get brought back? said Brother. Huh? said the slave. No, I don't. Miserable skinflint aristocrates. I have to come back by myself, hitching lifts on ships, that kind of thing. <laughs> you come back? Yeah. Abroad's all right to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. Hmm. Anyway, I've only got four years as a slave and then I'm free. You get the vote when you're free and you get to keep slaves. His face glazed with the effort of recollection as he ticked off points on his fingers. Slaves get three meals a day, at least one with meat and one free day a week, and two weeks being allowed to run away every year. And I don't do ovens or heavy lifting and worldly-wise repartee only by arrangement. Yes, but you're not free, said Brother, intrigued despite himself. What's the difference? Uh, you don't get any days off. Brother scratched his head. And one less meal. Really? <laughs> I think I'll give freedom a miss then, thanks. Uh, have you seen a tortoise anywhere round here? said Brother. No. And I cleaned under the bed. Have you seen one anywhere else today? You want one? There's good eating on a... No, no, it's all right. Brother! It was Vorbis's voice. Brother hurried out into the courtyard and into Vorbis's cell. Ah, brother. Yes, Lord? Vorbis was sitting cross-legged on the floor, staring at the wall. You are a young man visiting a new place, said Vorbis. No doubt there is much you wish to see. There is, said Brother. Vorbis was using the exquisiter voice again, a level monotone, a voice like a strip of dull steel. You may go where you wish. See new things, brother. Learn everything you can. You are my eyes and ears and my memory. Learn about this place. Uh, really, Lord? Have I impressed you with my use of careless language, brother? Uh, no, Lord. Go away, fill yourself, and be back by sunset. Uh, even the library, said brother. Ah, yes, the library. The library that they have here, of course, crammed with useless and dangerous and evil knowledge. 
I can see it in my mind, brother. Can you imagine that? No, Lord Vorbis. Your innocence is your shield, brother. No, by all means go to the library. I have no fear of any effect on you. Lord Vorbis? Yes? The tyrant said that they hardly did anything to Brother Murdoch. Silence unrolled its restless length. Vorbis said, He lied. Yes. Brother waited. Vorbis continued to stare at the wall. Brother wondered what he saw there. When nothing else appeared to be forthcoming, he said, Thank you. He stepped back a bit before he went out so that he could squint under the deacon's bed. He's probably in trouble, Brother thought as he hurried through the palace. Everyone wants to eat tortoises. He tried to look everywhere while avoiding the freezes of unclad nymphs. Brother was technically aware that women were a different shape from men. He hadn't left the village until he was twelve, by which time some of his contemporaries were already married. And Omnianism encouraged early marriage as a preventative against sin, although any activity involving any part of the human anatomy between neck and knees was more or less sinful in any case. Brother wished he was a better scholar so he could ask his god why this was. Then he found himself wishing his god was a more intelligent god so it could answer. He hasn't screamed for me, he thought. I'm sure I would have heard. So maybe no one's cooking him. A slave polishing one of the statues directed him to the library. Brother pounded down an aisle of pillars. When he reached the courtyard in front of the library, it was crowded with philosophers all craning to look at something. Brother could hear the usual petulant squabbling that showed that philosophical discourse was underway. In this case, I've got ten obols here, says it can't do it again. Talking money, <laughs> that's something you don't hear every day, Zeno. Yeah, and it's about to say goodbye. Look, don't be stupid, it's a tortoise, it's just doing a mating dance. There was a breathless pause, then a sort of collective sigh. <gasps> there. That's never a right angle. Come on, I'd like to see you do better in the circumstances. What, 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 what's it doing now? The hypotenuse, I think. Call that a hypotenuse? It's wiggly. It's not wiggly. It's drawing it straight and you're looking at it in a wiggly way. I'll bet thirty obols. It can't do a square. Here's f uh, forty obols, says it can. There was another pause and then a cheer. Yay! That's more of a parallelogram, if you ask me said a petulant voice. Listen, I, I know a square when I see one, and, 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 and that's a square. All right, double or nothing, then. Bet it can't do a dodecagon. Eh, you bet it couldn't do a septagon just now. Double or nothing, dodecagon. Worried, eh? <laughs> Feeling a bit avis domestica. Cluck, cluck, cluck. <laughs> it's a shame to take your money. There was another pause. Ten sides, ten sides, ha! <laughs> told you it wasn't any good. Whoever heard of a tortoise doing geometry? Another daft idea, did Akalos? They said so all along. It was just a tortoise. There's good eating on one of those. The mass of philosophers broke up, pushing past Brother without paying him much attention. He caught a glimpse of a circle of damp sand covered with geometrical figures. Om was sitting in the middle of them. Behind him was a very grubby pair of philosophers counting out a pile of coins. How did we do, Ern? said Didactylos. We're fifty-two obols up, master. See, every day things improve. <laughs> Pity it didn't know the difference between ten and twelve, though. Cut one of its legs off and we'll have a stew. 
cut off a leg? Well, a tortoise like that, you don't eat it all at once. Didactylos turned his face towards a plump young man with splayed feet and a red face, who was staring at the tortoise. Yes, he said. The tortoise does know the difference between ten and twelve, said the fat boy. Damn thing just lost me eighty obols, said Didactylos. Yes, but tomorrow, the boy began, his eyes glazing as if he was carefully repeating something he'd just heard, tomorrow you should be able to get odds of at least three to one. Didactylos's mouth dropped open. Give me the tortoise urn, he said. The apprentice philosopher reached down and picked up on very carefully. You know, I thought right at the start there was something funny about this creature, said Didactylos. I said to urn, there's tomorrow's dinner, and then he says, no, no, it's dragging its tail in the sand and doing geometry. That doesn't come natural to a tortoise, geometry. Om's eye turned to brother. I had to, he said. It was the only way to get his attention. Now I've got him by the curiosity. When you've got him by the curiosity, their hearts and minds will follow. He's a god, said brother. Really? What's his name? said the philosopher. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. The local gods will hear. Oh, I don't know, said brother. Didactylos turned arm over. "'The turtle moves,' said Urn thoughtfully. "'What?' said Brother. "'Master did a book,' said Urn. Uh, "'Not really a book,' said Didactylos modestly. "'More a scroll. Just a little thing I knocked off. "'Saying that the world is flat and goes through space on the back of a giant turtle,' said Brother. "'Oh, have you read it?' Didactylos's gaze was unmoving. "'Are you a slave?' "'No,' said Brother.' "'I'm, uh, don't mention my name. Call yourself a scribe or something.' "'Uh, scribe,' said Brother, weakly. "'Yeah,' said Urn. "'I can see that. The telltale callus on the thumb where you hold the pen. The ink stains all over your sleeves.' Brother glanced at his left thumb. "'I haven't got—' "'Yeah,' said Urn, grinning. "'Use your left hand, do you?' "'Uh,' I use both, said Brother, but not very well, everyone says. Ah, said Didactylos. Ambi sinister. What? He means incompetent with both hands, said Om. Oh, oh, yes, that's me. Brother coughed politely. Look, I'm looking for a philosopher. Uh, one that knows about gods. He waited. Then he said... You aren't going to say they're a relic of an outmoded belief system. Didactylos, still running his fingers over Om's shell, shook his head. No, I like my thunderstorms a long way off. Oh, could you stop turning him over and over? He's just told me he doesn't like it. You can tell how old they are by cutting them in half and counting the rings, said Didactylos. Oh, he hasn't got much of a sense of humour either. You're Omnian by the sound of it. Yes, here's to talk about the treaty. I do the listening. And what do you want to know about gods? Brother appeared to be listening. Eventually he said, uh, How they start, how they grow, and what happens to them afterwards. Didactylos put the tortoise into Brother's hands. It costs money, that kind of thinking, he said. 
"'Let me know when we've used more than fifty-two orb balls worth,' said Brother. Didactylos grinned. "'Looks like you can think for yourself,' he said. "'Got a good memory?' "'No, not exactly a good one.' "'Right, right. "'Come on into the library. "'It's got an earthed copper roof, you know. "'Gods really hate that sort of thing.' Didactylos reached down beside him and picked up a rusty iron lantern. Brother looked up at the big white building. "'That's the library?' he said. "'Yes,' said Didactylos. "'That's why it's got Librem carved over the door in such big letters. "'But a scribe like you would know that, of course.' The library of Ephebe was, before it burned down, the second biggest on the disc. Not as big as the library in Unseen University, of course, but that library had one or two advantages on account of its magical nature. No other library anywhere, for example, has a whole gallery of unwritten books. Books that would have been written if the author hadn't been eaten by an alligator around Chapter 1 and so on. Atlases of imaginary places. Dictionaries of illusory words. Spotter's guides to invisible things. Wild thesauri in the lost reading room. A library so big that it distorts reality and has opened gateways to all other libraries, everywhere and everywhere. And so unlike the library at Ephebe, with its four or five hundred volumes. Many of them were scrolls, to save their readers the fatigue of having to call a slave every time they wanted a page turned. Each one lay in its own pigeonhole, though. Books shouldn't be kept too close together, otherwise they interact in strange and unforeseeable ways. Sunbeams lanced through the shadows as palpable as pillars in the dusty air. Although it was the least of the wonders in the library, Brother couldn't help noticing a strange construction in the aisles. Wooden lathes had been fixed between the rows of stone shelves about two metres from the floor, so that they supported a wider plank of no apparent use whatsoever. Its underside had been decorated with rough wooden shapes. "'The library!' announced Didactylos. He reached up. His fingers gently brushed the plank over his head. It dawned on Brother. "'You're blind, aren't you?' he said. "'That's right.' "'But you carry a lantern?' "'That's all right,' said Didactylos. "'I don't put any oil in it.' "'A lantern that doesn't shine for a man that doesn't see?' "'Yeah. Works perfectly. "'And, of course, it's very philosophical.' "'And you live in a barrel?' "'Very fashionable living in a barrel,' said Didactylos, "'walking forward briskly, his fingers only occasionally "'touching the raised patterns on the plank.' Most of the philosophers do it. It shows contempt and disdain for worldly things. Mind you, Legibus has got a sauna in his. It's amazing the kind of things you can think of in it, he says. Brother looked around. Scrolls protruded from their racks like cuckoos piping the hour. It's all so... I never met a philosopher before I came here, he said. Last night they were all... "'You got to remember there's three basic approaches to philosophy in these parts,' said Didactylos. "'Tell him, Ern.' "'There's the Zenoists,' said Ern promptly. "'They say the world is basically complex and random. "'And there's the Ebedians. "'They say the world is basically simple and follows certain fundamental rules.' "'And there's me,' said Didactylos, pulling a scroll out of its rack. "'Baster says, basically, it's a funny old world,' said Ern. "'And it doesn't contain enough to drink,' said Didactylos. "'And uh, doesn't contain enough to drink.' "'Gods,' said Didactylos half to himself. "'He pulled out another scroll. "'You want to know about gods?' 
Here's Zeno's reflections, and old Aristocrates's platitudes, and Ibid's bloody stupid discourses, and Legibus's geometries, and Hierarch's theologies. Didactylos's fingers danced across the racks. More dust filled the air. These are all books, said Brother. Oh, yes, everyone writes them here. You just can't stop the buggers. And people can read them, said Brother. Omnia was based on one book, and here were hundreds. Well, they can if they want, said Ern, but no one comes in here much. These aren't books for reading, they're, they're more for writing. Wisdom of the ages, this, said Didactylos. Got to write a book, see, to prove you're a philosopher. Then you get your scroll and free official philosopher's loofer. The sunlight pooled on a big stone table in the centre of the room. Urn unrolled a length of scroll. Brilliant flowers glowed in the golden light. Orange crates on the nature of plants, said Didactylos. Six hundred plants and their uses. They're beautiful, whispered Brother. Yes, that is one of the uses of plants, said Didactylos, and one which old Orange crates neglected to notice too. Well done. "'Show him Philo's bestiary, Arne.' "'Another scroll unrolled. "'There were dozens of pictures of animals, "'thousands of unreadable words. "'But pictures of animals? "'It's wrong. "'Well, isn't it wrong to... "'Pictures of just about everything in here,' said Didactylos. "'Art was not permitted in Omnia. "'And this is the book Didactylos wrote,' said Arne. "'Brother looked down at a picture of a turtle.' There were elephants. They're elephants. His memory supplied from the fresh memories of the bestiary sinking indelibly into his mind. Elephants on its back, and on them something with mountains and a waterfall of an ocean around its edge. How can this be? said Brother. A world on the back of a tortoise? Why does everyone tell me this? This can't be true. Tell that to the mariners said Didactylos. Everyone who's ever sailed the rim ocean knows it. Why deny the obvious? But surely the world is a perfect sphere, spinning about the sphere of the sun, just as the Septatuke tells us, said Brother. That seems so logical. That's how things ought to be. Ought, said Didactylos. Well, I don't know about ought. That's not a philosophical word. "'And what is this?' Brother murmured, pointing to a circle under the drawing of the turtle. "'That's a plan view,' said Urn. "'Map of the world,' said Didactylos. "'Map? What's a map?' "'It's a sort of picture that shows you where you are,' said Didactylos. Brother stared in wonderment. "'And how does it know?' <laughs> "'Gods!' prompted Om again. We are here to ask about gods. But is all this true? said Brother. Didactylos shrugged. Could be, could be. We are here, and it is now. The way I see it is. After that, everything tends towards mm, guesswork. You mean, you don't know it's true? said Brother. I think it might be, said Didactylos. I could be wrong. Not being certain is what being a philosopher is all about. Talk about gods, said Om. Gods, said Brother weakly. 
His mind was on fire. These people made all these books about things, and they weren't sure. But he'd been sure, and Brother Numrod had been sure, and Deacon Vorbis had a sureness you could bend horseshoes around. Sureness was a rock. Now he knew why, when Vorbis spoke about Ephib, his face was grey with hatred and his voice was tense as a wire. If there was no truth, what was there left? And these bumbling old men spent their time kicking away the pillars of the world, and they'd nothing to replace them with but uncertainty. And they were proud of this? Urn was standing on a small ladder, fishing among the shelves of scrolls. Didactylos sat opposite Brother, his blind gaze still apparently fixed on him. "'You don't like it, do you?' said the philosopher. Brother had said nothing. "'You know,' said Didactylos conversationally, "'people'll tell you that us blind people are the real business where the other senses are concerned. But it's not true, of course. The buggers just say it because it makes them feel better. It gets rid of the obligation to feel sorry for us. But when you can't see, you do learn to listen more. The way people breathe.' The sounds their clothes make. Urn reappeared with another scroll. You shouldn't do this, said Brother wretchedly, all this. His voice trailed off. I know about sureness, said Didactylos. Now the light irascible tone had drained out of his voice. I remember, before I was blind, I went to Omnia once. This was before the borders were closed, when you still let people travel. And in your citadel... I saw a crowd stoning a man to death in a pit. Ever seen that? It has to be done, Brother mumbled, so the soul can be shriven, and... I don't know about the soul. Never been that kind of a philosopher, said Didactylos. All I know is it was a horrible sight. The state of the body is not... Oh, I'm not talking about the poor bugger in the pit, said the philosopher. I'm talking about the people throwing the stones. They were sure, all right. They were sure it wasn't them in the pit. You could see it in their faces. So glad it wasn't them that they were throwing just as hard as they could. Urn hovered, looking uncertain. I've got a Braxasses on religion, he said. "'Old charcoal Abraxas,' said Didactylos, suddenly cheerful again. "'Struck by lightning fifteen times so far, and still not giving up. "'You can borrow this one overnight if you want. "'No scribbling comments in the margins, mind you, unless they're interesting.' "'This is it,' said Om. "'Come on, let's leave this idiot.' "'Brother unrolled the scroll. "'There weren't even any pictures. "'Crabbed writing filled it line after line.' "'He spent years researching it,' said Didactylos. "'Went out into the desert, talked to the small gods, "'talked to some of our gods, too. Brave man. "'He says gods like to see an atheist around, "'gives them something to aim at.' "'Brother unrolled a bit more of the scroll. Five minutes ago he would have admitted that he couldn't read. "'Now the best efforts of the Inquisitors couldn't have forced it out of him. "'He held it up in what he hoped was a familiar fashion.' "'Where is he now?' he said. "'Well, someone said they saw a pair of sandals with smoke coming out just outside his house a year or two back,' said Didactylos. "'He might have, you know, pushed his luck.' "'I think,' said Brother, "'that I'd better be going. "'I'm sorry to have intruded on your time.' "'Bring it back when you're finished with it,' said Didactylos. "'Is that how people read in Omnia?' said Urn. "'What?' 
upside down? Brother picked up the tortoise, glared at Ern, and strode as haughtily as possible out of the library. Hmm, said Didactylos. He drummed his fingers on the tables. It was him I saw in the tavern last night, said Ern. I'm sure, Master. But the Omnians are staying here in the palace. That's right, Master. But the tavern is outside. Yes. Then he must have flown over the wall, do you think? I'm sure it was him, Master. Then maybe he came later. Maybe he hadn't gone in when you saw him. It can only be that, Master. The keepers of the labyrinth are unbribable. Didactylos clipped Urn across the back of the head with his lantern. Stupid boy! I've told you about that sort of statement. I mean, they are not easily bribable, Master. Not for all the gold in Omnia, for example. Eh, that's more like it. Do you think that tortoise was a god, Master? He's going to be in big trouble in Omnia if he is. They've got a bastard of a god there. Do you ever read old Abraxas? No, Master. Very big on gods. Big gods, man. Always smelled of burnt hair. Naturally resistant. Om crawled slowly along the length of a line. Stop walking up and down like that, he said. I can't concentrate. How can people talk like that? Brother asked the empty air, acting as if they're glad they don't know things, finding out more and more things they don't know. It's like children proudly coming to show you a full potty. Om marked his place with a claw. But they find things out, he said. This Abraxas was a thinker and no mistake. I didn't know some of this stuff. Sit down. Brother obeyed. Right, said Om. Now, listen. Do you know how gods get power? By people believing in them, said Brother. Millions of people believe in you. Om hesitated. All right, all right. We are here and it is now. Sooner or later he'll find out for himself. They don't believe, said Om. But it's happened before, said the tortoise, dozens of times. Do you know Abraxas found the lost city of E? Very strange carvings, he says. Belief, he says, belief shifts. People start out believing in the god and end up believing in the structure. I don't understand, said Brother. Let me put it another way, said the tortoise. I am your god, right? Yes, and you'll obey me, yes? Good. Now, take a rock and go and kill Vorbis. Brother didn't move. I'm sure you heard me, said Om. But he'll... he's... the Quisition would... Now you know what I mean, said the tortoise. You're more afraid of him than you are of me. Now... Abraxas says here, around the god there forms a shell of prayers and ceremonies and buildings and priests and authority, until at last the god dies, and this may not be noticed. That can't be true. I think it is. Abraxas says there's a kind of shellfish that lives in the same way. It makes a bigger and bigger shell until it can't move around any more and it dies. That, that means the whole church? Yes. 
Ruther tried to keep hold of the idea, but the sheer enormity of it kept wrenching it from his mental grasp. But you're not dead, he managed. Next best thing, said Om, and you know what? No other small god is trying to usurp me. Did I ever tell you about old Urgilash? No? He was the god back in what's now Omnia before me. Not much of one. Basically a weather god or a snake god, something anyway. It took years to get rid of him, though. Wars and everything. So, I've been thinking... Brother said nothing. Om still exists, said the tortoise. I mean, the shell. All you'd have to do is get people to understand. Brother still said nothing. You can be the next prophet, said Om. I can't. Everyone knows Vorbis will be the next prophet. Ah, oh, but you will be official. No. No. I am your god. And I am my me. Uh, I'm not a prophet. I can't even write. I can't read. No one will listen to me. Om looked him up and down. I must admit you're not the chosen one I would have chosen, he said. The great prophets had vision, said Brother. Even if they, even if you didn't talk to them, they had something to say. What could I say? I haven't got anything to say to anyone. What could I say? Believe in the great god Om, said the tortoise. Well, and then what? What do you mean, and then what? Brother looked out glumly at the darkening courtyard. Believe in the great god Om, or be stricken with thunderbolts, he said. Sounds good to me. Is that how it always has to be? The last rays of the sun glinted off the statue in the centre of the courtyard. It was vaguely feminine. There was a penguin perched on one shoulder. Patina, goddess of wisdom, said brother. The one with the penguin. Why a penguin? Can't imagine, said Om hurriedly. Nothing wise about penguins, is there? Shouldn't think so unless you count the fact that you don't get them in Omnia. Pretty wise of them. Brother! That's Vorbis, said brother, standing up. Shall I leave you here? Yes, there's still some melon. I mean, loaf. Brother wandered out into the dusk. Vorbis was sitting on a bench under a tree, as still as a statue in the shadows. Certainty, Brother thought. I used to be certain. Now I'm not so sure. Ah, Brother, you will accompany me on a little stroll. We will take the evening air. Yes, Lord. You have enjoyed your visit to Ephib? Vorbis seldom asked a question if a statement would do. It has been interesting. Vorbis put one hand on Brother's shoulder and used the other to haul himself up on his staff. "'And what do you think of it?' he asked. "'They have many gods, and they don't pay them much attention,' said Brother. "'And they search for ignorance.' "'And they find it in abundance, be sure of that,' said Vorbis. "'He pointed his staff into the night. "'Let us walk,' he said.' There was the sound of laughter somewhere in the darkness and the clatter of pans. The scent of evening opening flowers hung thickly in the air. The stored heat of the daytime radiating from the stones made the night seem like a fragrant soup. 
"'If Phoebe looks to the sea,' said Vorbis after a while, "'you see the way it is built, all on the slope of a hill facing the sea. "'But the sea is mutable. "'Nothing lasting comes from the sea, "'whereas our dear citadel looks towards the high desert. "'And what do we see there?' Instinctively, Brother turned and looked over the rooftops to the black bulk of the desert against the sky. "'I saw a flash of light,' he said, "'and again, on the slope. "'Ah, the light of truth,' said Vorbis. "'So let us go forth to meet it. "'Take me to the entrance of the labyrinth, Brother. "'You know the way.' "'My lord,' said Brother. "'Yes, Brother. "'I would like to ask you a question.' "'Do so. What happened to Brother Murdoch?' "'There was the merest suggestion of hesitation in the rhythm of Vorbis's stick on the cobbles. "'Then the exquisitor said, "'Truth, good brother, is like the light. "'Do you know about light?' "'It comes from the sun, and the moon and stars, and candles, and lamps.' "'And so on,' said Vorbis, nodding. "'Of course. "'But there is another kind of light, "'a light that fills even the darkest of places. "'This has to be, for if this meta-light did not exist, "'how could darkness be seen?' "'Brother said nothing. "'This sounded too much like philosophy. "'And so it is with truth,' said Vorbis. "'There are some things which appear to be the truth, "'which have all the hallmarks.' of truth, but which are not the real truth. The real truth must sometimes be protected by a labyrinth of lies. He turned to Brother. Do you understand me? No, Lord Vorbis. I mean, that which appears to our senses is not the fundamental truth. Things that are seen and heard and done by the flesh are mere shadows of a deeper reality. "'This is what you must understand as you progress in the church.' "'But at the moment, Lord, I know only the trivial truth, "'the truth available on the outside,' said Brother. "'He felt as though he was at the edge of a pit. Mm, "'That is how we all begin,' said Vorbis kindly. "'So did the Ephebians kill Brother Murdoch?' Brother persisted. "'Now he was inching out over the darkness.' "'I am telling you that in the deepest sense of the truth, and they did, "'by their failure to embrace his words, by their intransigence, "'they surely killed him. "'But in the trivial sense of the truth,' said Brother, "'picking every word with the care an inquisitor might give to his patient "'in the depths of the citadel, "'in the trivial sense... Brother Murdoch died, did he not, in, in, in Omnia, because he had not died in Ephebe, had been merely mocked, but it was feared that others in the church might not understand the, the deeper truth, and thus it was put about that the Ephebians had killed him in the trivial sense, thus giving you and those who saw the truth of the evil of Ephebe due cause to launch a just... Retaliation. They walked past a fountain. The deacon's steel-shod staff clicked in the night. I see a great future for you in the church, said Vorbis eventually. 
The time of the eighth prophet is coming, a time of expansion and great opportunity for those true in the service of Om. Ruther looked into the pit. If Vorbis was right and there was a kind of light that made darkness visible, then down there was its opposite, the darkness where no light could ever reach, darkness that blackened light. He thought of blind Didactylos and his empty lantern. He heard himself say, "'And with people like the Ephebians there is no truce. "'No treaty can be held binding "'if it is between people like the Ephebians "'and those who follow a deeper truth.' "'Vorbis nodded. "'When the great God is with us,' he said, "'who can stand against us? "'You impress me, brother.' "'There was more laughter in the darkness "'and the twang of stringed instruments. "'A feast!' sneered Vorbis. The tyrant invited us to a feast. I sent some of the party, of course. Even their generals are in there. They think themselves safe behind their labyrinth, as a tortoise thinks itself safe in its shell, not realising it is a prison. Onward. The inner wall of the labyrinth loomed out of the darkness. Brother leaned against it. From far above came the chink of metal on metal as a sentry went on his rounds. The gateway to the labyrinth was wide open. The Ephebians had never seen the point of stopping people entering. Up a short side tunnel, the guide for the first six of the way slumbered on a bench, a candle guttering beside him. Above his alcove hung the bronze bell that would-be traverses of the maze used to summon him. Brother slipped past. Brother? Yes, Lord? Lead the way through the labyrinth. I know you can. Lord, this is... "'An order, brother?' said Vorbis pleasantly. "'There is no hope for it,' brother thought. "'It is an order.' "'Then tread where I tread, lord,' he whispered. "'Not more than one step behind me.' "'Yes, brother. "'If I step around a place on the floor for no reason, "'you step around it too.' "'Yes, brother.' "'Brother thought, "'Perhaps I could do it wrong.' No, I took vows and things. You can't just disobey. The whole world ends if you start thinking like that. He let his sleeping mind take control. The way through the labyrinth unrolled in his head like a glowing wire. Diagonally forward and right three and a half paces and left sixty-three paces. Pause two seconds where a steely swish in the darkness suggested that one of the guardians had devised something that won him a prize. And up three steps... I could run forward, he thought. I could hide, and he'd walk into one of the pits, or a deadfall or something, and then I could sneak back to my room, and who would ever know? I would. Forward nine paces, and right one pace, and forward nineteen paces, and left two paces. There was a light ahead. Not the occasional white glow of moonlight from the slits in the roof, but yellow lamplight dimming and brightening as its owner came nearer. "'Someone's coming,' he whispered. "'It must be one of the guides.' "'Vorbis had vanished. "'Brother hovered uncertainly in the passageway "'as the light bobbed nearer. "'An elderly voice said, "'That you, number four? "'The light came round a corner. "'It half-illuminated an old man "'who walked up to Brother "'and raised the candle to his face. "'Where's number four? he said, peering around Brother. "'A figure appeared behind the man "'from out of a side passage.' "'Brother had the briefest glimpse of Vorbis, his face strangely peaceful, "'as he gripped the head of his staff, twisted and pulled. "'Sharp metal glittered for a moment in the candlelight. "'Then the light went out, 
Vorbus's voice said, "'Take the lead again.' Trembling, Brother obeyed. He felt the soft flesh of an outflung arm under his sandal for a moment. "'The pit,' he thought. "'Look into Vorbus's eyes, and there's the pit. "'And I'm in it with him. "'I've got to remember about fundamental truth.' "'No more guides were patrolling the labyrinth.' After a mere million years, the night air blew cool on his face and Brother stepped out under the stars. "'Well done. Can you remember the way to the gate?' "'Yes, Lord Vorbis.' The deacon pulled his hood over his face. "'Carry on.' There were a few torches lighting the streets, but Ephebe was not a city that stayed awake in darkness. A couple of passers-by paid them no attention. "'They guard their harbour,' said Vorbis conversationally. "'But the way to the desert. "'Everyone knows that no one can cross the desert. "'I am sure you know that, brother. "'But now I suspect that what I know is not the truth,' said brother. "'Quite so. <laughs> ah, the gate. "'I believe it had two guards yesterday.' "'I saw two, and now it is night, and the gate is shut. "'But there will be a watchman. Wait here.' Vorbis disappeared into the gloom. After a while there was a muffled conversation. Brother stared straight ahead of him. The conversation was followed by muffled silence. After a while Brother started to count to himself. After ten, I'll go back. Another ten, then. All right, make it thirty. And then I'll... Ah, Brother, let us go. Brother swallowed his heart again and turned slowly. I did not hear you, my lord, he managed. I walk softly. Is there a watchman? Not now. Come, help me with the boats. A small wicket gate was set into the main gate. Brother, his mind numb with hatred, shoved the bolts aside with the heel of his hand. The door opened with barely a creak. Outside there was the occasional light of a distant farm and crowding darkness. Then the darkness poured in. Hierarchy, Vorbis said later. The Ephebians didn't think in terms of hierarchies. No army could cross the desert, but maybe a small army could get a quarter of the way and leave a cache of water, and do that several times. And another small army could use part of that cache to go further, maybe reach halfway and leave a cache. And another small army... It had taken months... A third of the men had died of heat and dehydration and wild animals and worse things, the worst things that the desert held. You had to have a mind like Vorbus's to plan it, and plan it early. Men were already dying in the desert before Brother Murdoch went to preach. There was already a beaten track when the Omnian fleet burned in the bay before Ephib. You had to have a mind like Vorbus's to plan your retaliation before your attack. It was over in less than an hour. The fundamental truth was that the handful of Ephebian guards in the palace had no chance at all. Vorbis sat upright in the tyrant's chair. It was approaching midnight. A collection of Ephebian citizens, the tyrant among them, had been herded in front of him. He busied himself with some paperwork and then looked up with an air of mild surprise, as if he'd been completely unaware that fifty people were waiting in front of him at crossbow point. Ah! he said, and flashed a little smile. Well, he said, I am pleased to say that we can now dispense with the peace treaty. Quite unnecessary. Why prattle of peace when there is no more war? 
A Phoebe is now Diocese of Omnia. There will be no argument. He threw a paper onto the floor. There will be a fleet here in a few days. There will be no opposition while we hold the palace. Your infernal mirror is even now being smashed. He steepled his fingers and looked at the assembled Ephebians. Who built it? The tyrant looked up. It was an Ephebian construction, he said. Ah, said Vorbis, democracy. I forgot. Then who, he signalled one of the guards who handed him a sack, wrote this. A copy of De Chelonian Mobile was flung on the marble floor. Brother stood beside the throne. It was where he had been told to stand. He looked into the pit and now it was him. Everything around him was happening in some distant circle of light, surrounded by darkness. Thoughts chased one another round his head. Did the Cenobiarch know about this? Did anyone else know about the two kinds of truth? Who else knew that Vorbis was fighting both sides of a war like a child playing with soldiers? Was it really wrong if it was for the greater glory of a god who was a tortoise? A god that only brother believed in? Who did Vorbis talk to when he prayed? Through the mental storm, Brother heard Vorbis's level tones. If the philosopher who wrote this does not own up, the entirety of you will be put to the flame. Do not doubt that I mean it. There was a movement in the crowd and the sound of Didactylos's voice. Let go, you heard him. Anyway, I always wanted a chance to do this. A couple of servants were pushed aside, and the philosopher stumped out of the crowd, his barren lantern held defiantly over his head. Brother watched the philosopher pause for a moment in the empty space, and then turn very slowly until he was directly facing Vorbis. He took a few steps forward, and then held the lantern out as he appeared to regard the deacon critically. Hmm, he said. You are the perpetrator, said Vorbis. Indeed. Didactylos is my name. You are blind? Only as far as vision is concerned, my lord. Yet you carry a lantern, said Vorbis, doubtless for some catchword reason. <laughs> Probably you'll tell me you're looking for an honest man. Uh, I don't know, my lord. Perhaps you could tell me what he looks like. I should strike you down now, said Vorbis. Oh, certainly. Vorbis indicated the book. These... Lies, this scandal, this, this lure to drag the minds of men from the path of true knowledge. You dare to stand before me and declare, he pushed the book with a toe, that the world is flat and travels through the void on the back of a giant turtle? Brother held his breath. So did history. Affirm your belief, Brother thought. Just once, someone please stand up to Vorbis. I can't, but someone. He found his eyes swivelling towards Simony, who stood on the other side of Vorbis's chair. The sergeant looked transfixed, fascinated. Didactylos drew himself up to his full height. He half turned, and for a moment his blank gaze passed across Brother. The lantern was extended at arm's length. No, he said. 
When every honest man knows that the world is a sphere, a perfect shape bound to spin around the sphere of the sun as man orbits the central truth of Om, said Vorbis, and the stars. Brother leaned forward, heart pounding. My lord, he whispered. What? snapped Vorbis. He said no, said Brother. That's right, said Didactylos. Vorbis sat absolutely motionless for a moment. Then his jaw moved a fraction, as if he was rehearsing some words under his breath. You deny it, he said. Let it be a sphere, said Didactylos. No problem with the sphere. No doubt special arrangements are made for everything to stay on, and the sun can be another larger sphere a long way off. Would you like the moon to orbit around the world or the sun? I advise the world, more hierarchical, and a splendid example to us all. Brother was seeing something he'd never seen before. Vorbis was looking bewildered. But you wrote, you, you said the world is on the back of a giant turtle. You gave the turtle a name. Didactylos shrugged. <sighs> now I know better. He said, Who ever heard of a turtle ten thousand miles long, swimming through the emptiness of space? Oh, for stupidity, I am embarrassed to think of it now. Vorbis shut his mouth. Then he opened it again. This is how an Ephibian philosopher behaves, he said. Didactylos shrugged again. It is how any true philosopher behaves, he said. One must always be ready to embrace new ideas. Take account of new proofs, don't you agree? And you have brought us many new points. A gesture seemed to take in, quite by accident, the Omnian bowman around the room. For me to ponder. I can always be swayed by powerful argument. Your lies have already poisoned the world. "'Then I shall write another book,' said Didactylos calmly. "'Think how it will look. "'Proud Didactylos, swayed by the arguments of the Omnians, "'a full retraction. Hmm? "'In fact, with your permission, Lord, "'I know you have much to do, looting and burning and so on. "'I will retire to my barrel right away and start work on it. "'A universe of spheres, balls, spinning through space. Mm, yes, with your permission, Lord, "'I will write you more balls than you can imagine.' "'The old philosopher turned and very slowly walked towards the exit. "'Vorbis watched him go. "'Brother saw him half-raise his hand to signal the guards "'and then lowered it again. "'Vorbis turned to the tyrant.' "'So much for your—' he began. Cooey! The lantern sailed through the doorway and shattered against Vorbis's skull. "'Nevertheless, the turtle moves!' Vorbis leapt to his feet. "'Aye!' he screamed and then got a grip on himself. He waved irritably at a couple of the guards. "'I want him caught! Now! And uh, brother!' Brother could hardly hear him for the rush of blood in his ears. Didactylos had been a better thinker than he'd thought. "'Yes, Lord? You will take a party of men, and you will take them to the library. And then, brother, you will burn the library.' Didactylos was blind, but it was dark. The pursuing guards could see, except that there was nothing to see by. And they hadn't spent their lives wandering the twisty, uneven, and above all many stepped lanes of a phoebe. 
Eight, nine, ten, eleven, muttered the philosopher, bounding up a pitch-dark flight of steps and herring round a corner. Rook! Ow! Whoa, that was my knee, muttered most of the guards in a heap about halfway up. One made it to the top, though. By starlight he could just make out the skinny figure bounding madly along the street. He raised his crossbow. The old fool wasn't even dodging a perfect target. There was a twang. The guard looked puzzled for a moment. The bow toppled from his hands, firing itself as it hit the cobbles and sending its bolt ricocheting off a statue. He looked down at the feathered shaft sticking out of his chest, and then at the figure detaching itself from the shadows. "'Sergeant Simony,' he whispered. "'I'm sorry,' said Simony. "'I really am, but the truth is important.' The soldier opened his mouth to give his opinion of the truth, and then slumped forwards. He opened his eyes. Simony was walking away. Everything looked lighter. It was still dark, but now he could see in the darkness. Everything was shades of grey, and the cobbles under his hand had somehow become a coarse black sand. He looked up. "'On your feet, Private Itchloss!' He stood up sheepishly. Now he was more than just a soldier, an anonymous figure to chase and be killed, and be no more than a shadowy bit-player in other people's lives. Now he was Dervi Itchloss, aged thirty-eight, comparatively blameless in the general scheme of things, and dead. He raised a hand to his lips uncertainly. "'You're the judge,' he said. "'Not me.' Itchloss looked at the sands stretching away. He knew instinctively what he had to do. He was far less sophisticated than General Fryatt, and took more notice of songs he'd learned in his childhood. Besides, he had an advantage— He'd had even less religion than the general. Judgment is at the end of the desert. Itchloss tried to smile. My mum told me about this, he said. When you're dead, you have to walk a desert, and you see everything properly, she said, and remember everything right. Death studiously did nothing to indicate his feelings either way. Might meet a few friends on the way, eh? said the soldier. Possibly. Itchloss set out. On the whole, he thought, it could have been worse. Urn clambered across the shelves like a monkey, pulling books out of their racks and throwing them down on the floor. I could carry about twenty, he said, but which twenty? Always wanted to do that, murmured Didactylos happily. Upholding truth in the face of tyranny and so on. <laughs> One man, unafraid of the... What to take, what to take, shouted Urn. Well, we don't need Greedo's mechanics, said Didactylos. Hey, I wish I could have just seen the look on his face. Damn good shot, considering. I just hope someone wrote down what I did. Principles on gearing, theory of water expansion, shouted Urn. But we don't need Ibid's civics or Gnomon's ectopia, that's for sure. What? They belong to all mankind, snapped Didactylos. Then if all mankind will come and help us carry them, that's fine, said Urn. But it's just the two of us. I prefer to carry something useful. Useful? Books on mechanisms? Yes, they could show people how to live better. And these show people how to be people, said Didactylos. Which reminds me, find another lantern. I feel quite blind without one. The library door shook to a thunderous knocking. It wasn't the knocking of people who expected the door to be opened. We could throw some of the others into the... Uh, the hinges leapt out of the walls. The door thudded down. Soldiers scrambled over it, swords drawn. "'Ah, gentlemen,' said Didactylos, "'pray don't disturb my circles.' 
The corporal in charge looked at him blankly and then down at the floor. What circles? he said. Hey, how about giving me a pair of compasses and coming back in, say, half an hour? Leave him, corporal, said brother. He stepped over the door. I said leave him, but I got orders to... Are you deaf? If you are, the quisition can cure that, said brother, astonished at the steadiness of his own voice. You don't belong to the quisition, said the corporal. No, but I know a man who does, said brother. You are to search the palace for books. Leave him with me, he's an old man. What harm can he do? The corporal looked hesitantly from brother to his prisoners. Very good, corporal. I will take over. They all turned. Did you hear me? said Sergeant Simony, pushing his way forward. But the deacon told us, Corporal? Yes, Sergeant? The deacon is far away. I am right here. Yes, Sergeant. Go. Yes, Sergeant. Simony cocked an ear as the soldiers marched away. Then he stuck his sword in the door and turned to Didactylos. He made a fist with his left hand and brought his right hand down on it, palm extended. The turtle moves, he said. Uh, that all depends, said the philosopher cautiously. I mean, I am a friend, he said. Why should we trust you, said Ern. "'Because you haven't got any choice,' said Sergeant Simony briskly. "'Can you get us out of here?' said Brother. Simony glared at him. "'You?' he said. "'Why should I get you out of here? You're an inquisitor.' He grasped his sword. Brother backed away. "'I'm not. On the ship when the captain sounded you, you just said nothing,' said Simony. "'You're not one of us.' "'I don't think I'm one of them either,' said Brother. "'I'm one of mine.' "'He gave Didactylos an imploring look, "'which was a wasted effort, "'and turned it towards Urn instead. "'I don't know about this soldier,' he said. "'All I know is that Vorbis means to have you killed, "'and he will burn your library. "'But I can help. "'I worked it out on the way here.' "'And don't listen to him,' said Simony. "'He dropped on one knee in front of Didactylos like a supplicant. "'Sir, there are some of us who know your book for what it is. "'See?' "'I have a copy,' he fumbled inside his breastplate. "'We copied it out,' said Simony. "'One copy, that's all we had. "'But it's been passed around. "'Some of us who could read read it to the others. "'It makes so much sense.' "'Er,' uh, said Didactylos. "'Er, uh, what?' Simony waved his hands in excitement. "'Because we know it. "'I've been to places that... It's true. There is a great turtle. The turtle does move. We don't need gods. Ern, uh, no one stripped the copper off the roof, have they? said Didactylos. Don't think so. Remind me not to talk to this chap outside, then. You don't understand, said Simony. I can save you. You have friends in unexpected places. Come on. I'll just kill this priest. He gripped his sword. Brother backed away. No, I, I can help too. That's why I came. When I saw you in front of Vorbis, I knew what I could do. What could you do? sneered Ern. I can save the library. What? Put it on your back and run away? sneered Simony. No, I don't mean that. How many scrolls are there? About seven hundred, said Didactylos. How many of them are important? All of them, said Ern. Maybe a couple of hundred, 
said Didactylos mildly. Uncle! All the rest is just wind and vanity publishing, said Didactylos. But they're books. I may be able to take more than that, said Brother slowly. Is there a way out? There could be, said Didactylos. Don't tell him, said Simony. Then all your books will burn, said Brother. He pointed to Simony. He said you haven't got a choice, so you haven't got anything to lose, have you? He's a... Simony began. Oh, everyone shut up, said Didactylos. He stared past Brother's ear. There may be a way out, he said. What do you intend? I don't believe this, said Ern. There's Omnians here, and you're telling them there's another way out. There's tunnels all through this rock, said Didactylos. Maybe, but we don't tell people. I'm inclined to trust this person, said Didactylos. He's got an honest face, speaking philosophically. Why should we trust him? Anyone stupid enough to expect us to trust him in these circumstances must be trustworthy, said Didactylos. He'd be too stupid to be deceitful. I can walk out of here right now, said Brother, and where will your library be then? You see, said Simony, just when things apparently look dark, suddenly we have unexpected friends everywhere, said Didactylos. What is your plan, young man? I haven't got one, said Brother. I just do things one after the other. And how long will doing things one after another take you? About ten minutes, I think. Simony glared at Brother. Now get the books, said Brother, and I shall need some light. But you can't even read, said Ern. I'm not going to read them. Brother looked blankly at the first scroll, which happened to be De Chelonian Mobile. Oh, my God, he said. There's something wrong, said Didactylos. Could someone fetch my tortoise? End of CD 5